epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. In T-minus three, two, one, we begin the fun. Touring our way through the NBA from that big, big apple to the place by the bay. Is your mind buckled in? Because it's time to begin. Seiko and his friends are doing it again. The Hangtime Podcast is the spot, so sit back, relax, because the show's about to drop. Welcome into another edition of the Hangtime Podcast. I'm your host, Seiko Smith, here in Atlanta. And as always, we want to make sure to take a moment to make sure everybody out there is safe and sound during this coronavirus pandemic. we Obviously, basketball, the games we're used to are on hold, but our conversations never end. And uh, here at the Hangtime Podcast, we're doing our best to shelter in place, stay safe, and encourage you all to do the same. Uh, this week on the podcast, we have a very interesting guest, for me especially being a, a Michigander. I'm, I'm very versed in the history of Michigan basketball, Michigan high school basketball. And uh, joining us now is one of those legends from Detroit, Murray Wright, longtime NBA player, NBA champion, NBA coach, Johnny Davis, who is now a part of the Retired Players Association board. Uh, coach, and I call you coach because when I started covering the NBA, you were coaching. So uh, yeah. First, yeah. <laughs> first and foremost, man, how are you? How's your family, and and how are you guys doing uh, with this this go you know global lockdown that everybody's dealing with? Yeah, my family and I are doing well, and uh, like everyone else, we're we're practicing you know safe habits and and following the the, the safety protocols that uh, are necessary for us to remain safe and healthy. Um, we. Um, you know, obviously, everybody's making changes and adjustments as we move along. And uh, I, I just think that uh, hopefully when we get on the, the other end of this this pandemic crisis, that uh, the positive things that come out of it, like working together and understanding how we, we all truly need one another, uh, will we'll continue. And, and, and the negative things that are coming out of this, we can leave behind. But we're doing fine, and um, we're, we're very uh, safe here, and, and hopefully that will remain. Absolutely. Now, you, I mean, you're dealing in a realm now where you you got a lot of former NBA players. I would imagine you are conversing with and, and interacting with on a regular basis. Um, and when you think about how this pandemic has affected people, you know, the people who are up there in age. Um, what kind of conversations are you guys having about this and, and how to, to manage through this process? 
Well, say, Ku, we have over a thousand plus members in the NBRPA, and uh, of that membership, uh, approximately 200 of them are over the age of 70, and the average age of our members is 55 plus. So we're right in that demographic that has been uh, identified as being that age group that's most vulnerable to uh, coronavirus. So it's um, we, we've got uh, you know our eye on this. In a, in a very uh, particular way. What we try to do is um, be that, uh, that informational uh, center for our players in terms of getting them uh, real information about what's taking place with the coronavirus and the safety measures that are required and needed for them to uh, have safety and, and, and good health with, with themselves and, and their families and loved ones. Uh, we, we try to uh, make sure that they know that we are a resource for them uh, if needed in terms of uh, any uh, financial pressures or additional pressures that they may be feeling, um, any, any type of uh, psychological barriers that need to be overcome as a result of being sequestered or uncertain about the future. So we try to, we try to do those things, say, to, to just let our members know that we're there for you and uh, whatever it is that, that you need to process this, this uh, catastrophic situation, we, we, we want to be there for you and help you navigate that. So. We're in touch with our members. We encourage uh, that our members stay uh, in contact with one another. We try to stay in contact with our members, texting, email, Instagram, all the things that are available in terms of communicating with one another and, and, and make sure that uh, uh, we're there for what, whatever it is that, that might possibly be needed, uh, if possible. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine it's, it's uh it's a trying time for a lot of people. Um, but in, in the midst of all this, we've had some interesting developments as well. Um, this, this last dance uh, on ESPN, a documentary series, uh, going back and looking at Michael Jordan's last season in the league as a champion with the Chicago Bulls in 97, 98 season. But it's also going even further back, kind of delving into the history. And it, it makes me smile when I see some of those early years of Jordan's, you know, the, the, the early 80s when he first broke into the league. I know you had already won a championship right then, had been well established in your career. Um, but I'm curious just with, with your careers overlapping as players and then you coached in the league obviously for years and years. What's been your evaluation of, of the, the Michael Jordan phenomenon that it was then and what it's evolved to to this day in terms of him as a player? I don't, I don't know if you had any early impressions of him when he first got in the league or, or what you thought, you know, his, his arrival meant for basketball. Well, I thought that uh, first and foremost, like, like most everyone, that he, he was just an amazing talent uh, and uh, just a special kind of a talent, you know, a generational talent, if you will. Going back to when he first came into uh, the NBA, I thought uh, if he had a weakness, it was uh, outside shooting, that he was inconsistent uh, a bit with that. <coughs> Moving forward, 
he addressed that that particular concern, and now he 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 evolved into one of the the best shooters uh, in league history, and certainly a clutch shooter when you needed a basket the most, he could get you one. I thought his personality uh, drove the Bulls and uh, allowed them to overcome the obstacles that were in front of them. Back in those early days, it was the uh, uh, Detroit Pistons that they couldn't overcome. Uh, once they understood how to address the physicality for which Detroit played with, and they were the architect, if you recall, back when Chuck Bailey was coaching the Pistons under Jordan Rules, quote-unquote, uh, which basically said uh, be physical with him, you know, knock, knock him to the floor when he drove. And that was a time when the NBA would allow you to hand check and do different things of a physical nature uh, in the game. So he had to overcome that, along with bringing Scottie Pippen along with him uh, related to getting to that next level, not just physically, but also mentally to where where champions have that next level they can always go to. So over the years, you watch that uh, in terms of, of how he evolved as a player and how he pushed and maneuvered uh, the Chicago Bulls into position every year and ultimately winning six titles. So that was impressive in and of itself. Having said that, what's even more impressive to me was how he evolved as a businessman into arguably one of the wealthiest, if not the wealthiest uh, uh, player uh, who crossed over into the, into the business arena, along with Magic Johnson, of course, and there's probably one or two others that have done uh, really, really well uh, post-career. But Michael Jordan was the... Um, he he was the the one guy that you could single out and say, uh, in terms of performance, this is what you look at. In terms of being a competitor, this is what you look at. In terms of transitioning into the business world, this is the model. And he really shaped, uh, I thought, uh, what a lot of players are enjoying today. Um, when you, when you look at the amount of uh, dollars that are being circulated, not just for the players, but for the league, um, I think Michael Jordan was in the forefront of that. The popularity with which he, he had uh, was global, and it allowed the NBA to now have audiences on an international platform. And I, I think Jordan drove that. Now you see other players today doing it, LeBron James, Steph Curry, Durant, Kyrie Irving, just to name a few. But uh, Jordan was in the forefront of that. He really was the person that uh, captivated people and, and, and got that started, I think, uh, in, a, in, a, in a national way and then in an international way. Now, you got to get a, a nod out also to uh, Magic Johnson and Larry Bird and, and that whole thing going into that. Uh, 80s where, uh, you know, the NBA was having some some uh, public uh, identification problems and so on and so forth and that whole rivalry also. But in terms of, of, of having it go uh, way beyond the level it was and having that one one guy who even if you didn't, even if you weren't, say, who a basketball fan per se, 
you knew or heard the name Michael Jordan. So he transcended the sports fans and went to just a casual fan and even to non-fans who, well, I don't know who he is. I don't know basketball, but I've heard the name Michael Jordan. So in terms of uh, uh, the explosion, the uh, he was right there when technology uh, came into play, the internet, all of those things were coming in and, and he was a guy that you could promote and look to and he never disappointed. He never disappointed. So, uh, you know, he, he, he was a special talent and a special guy. Again, one of those, you know, once in a lifetime type guys. And, and we were, you know, uh, very, very fortunate that, that we got to see him and how he evolved over the years. And now as a, a you know, an owner of the, the, uh, the uh, Charlotte team, he's, uh, he's poised again to at some point uh, make his presence felt, uh, you know, at that level as well. They, they haven't done it yet, but I wouldn't bet against them uh, move, moving ahead. No question. Um, it's interesting. You, you, you mentioned the evolution of the game. And, you know, you came in with a Portland team and then won a championship, you know, very early in your career. I'm, I'm curious what it looks like to you now, looking back on that time. And, you know, I would imagine when you're a young player and you're just getting started in your career, when you hit a, a career achievement like a title in those first few years, how, you know, how does that change the way you look at the game? You know, does it – you, <laughs> you just kind of it's think, oh, man, we're going to do this again and again. Say <laughs> cool. I actually thought, man, this is, this is wonderful. We won the, the championship in, in, in my rookie year. And we started out the second year as an even better team. We were 50 and 10 at one point, and then our, our main player, Bill Walton, gets hurt. But I thought we were going to do this every year. I said, wow, <laughs> you know, we, we just, we'll just keep doing this because this is so much fun. Uh, at that time, and until you stop having that kind of success, you don't realize how, how special that time really is and how fleeting it is and how it can change overnight. So when you see teams like the Bulls, and I think Miami did it, uh, Lakers, those teams that have sustained success, that is really, really special. And it's not easy. It's not easy winning a championship. It's not even easy to win an NBA game. But when you start talking about winning championships every year and, and having that, that special it factor. There's only a few teams that, that have done it. You got to start with the Boston Celtics, of course, going back to Bill Russell and moving that team forward. They always seem to be in it. The Lakers always seem to be in it. Uh, Miami's always hovering around it. And wherever in these times with that LeBron shows up, his team usually is somewhere near it. So you have to give that nod to him. Think about what Golden State did with uh, Curry uh, Draymond Green, let's mention him coming, coming out of Michigan. He did a lot of good things for that team in terms of being uh, a facilitator. And so, so you look at teams that are special and what they have going, going forward and how they're able to sustain it. Another guy who I might mention uh, seems to always show up around winning is Pat Riley. So, you know, not to even we, we mention Phil Jackson and again those those coaches who who done who has done those things. Popovich sustained sustained excellence. So you look at 
Well, what are they doing that others aren't doing? Well, first of all, I don't care who you are. If you don't have talented basketball players on your team who can compete at a high level, you can be the reincarnation of, of Red Arback, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Phil Jackson, John Wood. You could be all of them combined, and you still won't get it done. You'll have a nice team, but you need talent to win. And if you look at how they draft, how they process free agency, how they do their uh, uh, development programs internally, they're always at the top. There's excellence in all of those areas. And they do put the right coach in with those players. Hence, you get sustained excellence. But it, it's no accident to me when I see the same team showing up year after year after year after year. And say, cool, we're talking about going back to when I first started playing. Right. The Lakers were the were team to beat. You had Kareem Jabbar there, uh, uh, Lucius Allen at the time, um, mm. uh, other players who were of note. You go look over at Philadelphia, you had Dr. J and George McGinnis, Doug Collins, Henry Bibby. You know, you could just look at the Knicks going to uh, back to Clyde Frazier, Earl to Pearl Monroe. Now, I know I'm going way back a little bit, but uh, the, the only team that, um, that I saw at the time when I was growing up and starting to watch the NBA who didn't sustain the excellence uh, to a degree was the New York Knicks. And they're still, you know, going through that process of filling it out now. Right. But uh, that's a market that it, it, I won't be surprised if they bounce back. But again, it takes special players and it takes special leadership. And when you combine those two things, then you have sustained excellence. And that, to me, is what separates teams like the Bulls, the Lakers, yeah. the Celtics, the Heat, you know, they have sustained excellence. They don't do the one and done thing or, you know, a cup of coffee success. They they actually do it year after year after year after year. And then you watch how they transition Seiku into having other players join into what they're doing versus uh, losing players. And here's the other thing. They, they never uh, excuse or make uh, excuses. Mm -hmm. for not being successful. You never hear them complaining about things. All they do is go about the business of finding out what we need to continue at this level and go out and get the players, get the coaches, and they and they treat their players fairly. Guys want to go there, and they just keep they keep the train rolling right down that, that track called success. Right. So you have, to, you have to look at the total picture of it and understand what it is you're looking at. A lot of people see it. They don't know what it is. They don't recognize it. They don't know how to get it. And they think it's luck. It's not luck. <laughs> <laughs> it's not luck at all. Do you, uh, so. you mentioned, you know, and I, and I love diving into the history of the game like anybody. I'm a, I'm a proud Michigander like you are. And I, I know what kind of talent was coming out of Detroit in the state of Michigan back then. Did you, did you know in high school that you had – a professional future basketball? Because I, I know there wasn't an AAU circuit or a, a EYBL back then for guys to play in. It was about, you know, sharpening your game at St. Cecilia's and around. Right. Oh, yeah. Around you mentioned you that St. Cecilia, yeah. Yeah, you know I mean? Did, yeah. you know, yeah. did you know then that you were, uh, you knew you were good, but maybe, all right, maybe I'm better than 
just good. Maybe this is something that's going to lead me to what ends up being a lifetime in basketball. Yeah. Well, for me, it, it, it didn't really uh, hit me that I was good enough and had an opportunity to become a professional player until I went to uh, college. Mm-hmm. Coming out of high school, uh, there was so much, so many uh, talented high school players that you, you, you know, at least for myself, I always felt like I had to work harder to uh, get myself to that level where they were. And, and, and when I speak of that, I'm going to mention a couple of names to you yeah. that, uh, that I thought were just outstanding talents and show, show you a, a bit of a connection uh, in that thread with all of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, arguably one of the greatest scores to, to ever play the game, George Gervin mm-hmm. from Detroit, uh, honed his teeth, cut his teeth at St. Cecilia and, and other places around Detroit. Uh, he was an excellent uh, basketball player. And here's another guy that uh, I will mention that a lot of people have probably never heard of, but he played in the NBA for the Nets for just a couple of years. His name was Bubbles Hawkins. He played at uh, Persian High School under the great uh, legendary coach Will Robinson, who also coached Spencer Haywood, Raph uh, Simpson, who also were outstanding players. Here's another guy, Mike Robinson, who played for Michigan State, led the Big Ten in scoring three straight years. Now, where's the connection? George Gervin lived about a mile from where I lived. Mm-hmm. Mike Robinson lived across the street from where I lived. <laughs> but Bubble Hawkins was just, just around the corner. And I didn't even mention some, some other uh, NBA players who played that did not uh, uh, household names, but they were good enough to play in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eric Money, Lizzie Harrison, uh, Connell Norman, um, I mean, there's just there's just so many who who played. Now, all of us played at Saint Cecilia. That's the place, the recreational uh, center that you mentioned. We all played there, but we also all played on 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 the uh, the playgrounds and, and different places. And that's the kind of competition you had day in and day out. Now, as as we all move forward you know, uh, in, in terms of, of going into uh, college and different things like that. When I left uh, high school, uh, I had become an All-American player, but my main focus at that time was to get a college degree and be in position to uh, come out of college and, and, and find a job that could sustain me in terms of day-to-day living. It wasn't for the NBA, that was pie in the sky for me at that time. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but if, but fast forward it two years, um, I was I was now uh, at the University of Dayton. I was a sophomore, and uh, the, my coach at that time, Don Donner, calls me into the office. He says, "Hey, uh, are you interested in trying out for the uh, Pan American team?" I said, "Well, sure, coach." I, I'd love to try out for the team. He said, well, I know the guy who's, who's going to uh, be coaching that team. It was Dave Gavitt at the time, along oh, with Marv Harshman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I go to um, 
the um, first meeting, which was, I believe it was on the campus of Maryland. I'm not 100% sure that, but I know the first meeting, this is what happened. We all were in there and we were all dining together. All of the players from all over the country who were going to trial for this Pan American team, there 12, 12 uh, positions, probably 50, 60 guys, best in the country there. They do an introductory thing where you had to stand up and um, introduce yourself and say what school you were from. John Lucas, University of Maryland, you know, Phil Ford, University of North Carolina, all these great players. I mean, I could go on down the line, just great players everywhere. Right. And so I, I, I get up, Johnny Davis, uh, University of Dayton, go to the next guy. So no, nobody knew who I was. It was like, he, he, who's that? You know. <laughs> anyway, Seku, we go to our first practice, and we're competing in things, and we have you know scrimmages, et cetera. And I'm kind of feeling my way through this at the time, and I'm going, hmm. So I go back to to the dorm room and assess the first session. Mm-hmm. I said, hmm. I say I. Maybe everybody was just filling it out because they they didn't seem like they were anything special to me, you know. Mm-hmm. So we go to the next session, same thing. I said, tomorrow I'm going to turn it on a little bit, see what happens, see see where this thing really is. Because I thought maybe they were playing coy or something, you know. <laughs> so anyway, long story short, next day I turn it on, all right, to see where they are. Because I hadn't played, I was just playing no level, but I want to see, you know. After that, I said, nah, I said, I said, I can make this team. You know, I called my brother back home. I said, you know what, I can make this team. This He said, you think so? I said, oh, yeah. I said, Mm -hmm. nobody in here is quicker than me. I'm as athletic as anybody in here. I can shoot. I can pass. I can defend. I don't see any, even the big name players at the big name so-called universities mm-hmm. i said i can do this and, and consequently i did we wound up um, winning the gold medal with some wonderful players robert parish being one big run field mm-hmm. oldest bird song i mean the list goes on and on those guys were uh great great talents and I, I was happy to be a part of that but it just goes to show you that um in any situation you have a chance if you believe it. Right. If you don't believe it and you don't apply yourself to it, then you get what you get. So that was a real lesson for me in terms of uh, being ready, staying ready, being confident, understanding that uh, you, you always put your best out and uh, good things are happening for you. you. You'll get what you, what, what, you, what you apply for in most situations. Yeah. So we went through that. We won the gold, and uh, you know that was a wonderful time. It really yeah, was. That Mexico City Pan American Games. That's right, gold medal, nineteen seventy five. Did Did you feel like that propelled you too into the league? You know, maybe put you on. Oh, the no radar? question, no question about it, Seiko. When When we this is when I was telling you that I I realized I could play professional basketball because mm-hmm. once we had. Uh, formatted the team and we began to travel around and playing exhibition games, they would uh, get 
uh, those professional players in those cities where we were to come together and scrimmage against us to get us prepared for, for the tournament. So these were professional players who were wanting to get, you know, a workout in and get some good competition, young competition, and some doing, you know, a favor for for the uh, the, the uh, Olympic Committee to, to help us, you know, get ready. Mm-hmm. Well, we played uh, a lot of the uh, players again, and I, again, I didn't see anything I couldn't handle. I mean, as a matter of fact, I said, well, on certain guys, I won't name names. <laughs> I said, well, if, if, if he's playing in the league now, I, I'll be in the league, you know, because <laughs> I, I could, I could outplay that guy right now, you know, right. that kind of thing. So now my ego is taking shape <laughs> and my confidence is getting high. And um, like, like all athletes, you believe you can fly. You know, like I can go through the air and I can <laughs> hang up in here all day and I can shoot from here and I can do this. You're so excited about your potential and, and, and you're evolving as a player and you, you, you're gaining that, that mindset that you need to compete. And so uh, a year after that, um, I applied for the NBA draft. I get drafted by Portland. I believe it was 22nd in the second round, one of the mm-hmm. first players in the yes. second round. Mm-hmm wound up being on that team, we actually wind up going to the championship and uh, through an injury to the player who was starting, Dave Torzik, I was inserted into the lineup and we wound up winning the championship with me starting in the lineup. I was a shade over 21 years old. Wow. Uh, and so go back to Murray Wright, just want to get a nice education and, and, mm-hmm. and have a credible job going forward to being invited to the Pan American team and, and realizing that all of these big name players who were there were no better than I was and I could compete with them to plan against the pros during that summer in an exhibition season and seeing them up, up front, up tight, up close to saying, I can outplay this one, this one, this one, this one. And then winning the gold, getting drafted uh, at the, uh, the end of the next year and then being inserted into the, the lineup and we win a title. And I'm saying in my mind, we are now the best team in the world, 1977 NBA champions. We're the yeah. best team in the world. And I'm a starter on the best team in the world and a contributor to that championship. So from that point on, it was like, how far can we go? How far can I go? And um, you just keep pursuing these things and and you you take it out as far as you can. And, you know, you try to enjoy the process and and, and understand. But again, when you're young like that, you think it's going to last forever. And and you kind of take it for granted a little bit until one day it it strikes you that, you know what, this is a special time. I better enjoy it. You know, Bill Walton gets hurt. We we, we never make it back to... uh, the championship round, people got traded, others got hurt, and you looked around, say, Koo, and that whole group had been dismantled, right. and that was it. And we never got back to that level. I certainly didn't get back to that level. Yeah. Uh, I was traded to Indiana in my third year. Uh, subsequent, uh, subsequently, I was also traded to, uh, you know, I was a free agent and went to Atlanta and from Atlanta to Cleveland, Cleveland back to Atlanta, and that's where it, where it ended. I, I was fortunate that I was able to play 10 years. Right. And um, 
you know, and 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 uh, play on a championship team, and and from there, you know, you have to start thinking as you get towards the latter part of your career, and and you know when that is coming. You 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 just know those moments. Say, cool. Mm-hmm. Um, let me just briefly share with you yeah. how I knew, how I knew that it was now becoming time for me to start thinking about the next phase of life. Mm-hmm. Post playing. This is how I knew it. Every summer between seasons, we would all get together, the guys, and get coordinated and go out and run. Sometimes we'd run around, you know, a cross country trail, track, do different things, go in, shoot hoops, and all that. This is this was before the days where they thought lifting weights was uh, <laughs> also a part of things and stretching right. and the things they have today are just amazing i wish i had stretched and done all these different things personal trainers nutritionists psychologists i wish i had all that too <laughs> <laughs> but to uh this is what's allowing the longevity i think uh, more yeah. because people are in tune to their bodies now and their minds and what they need to do to be good and moving forward and and sustain uh, excellence over an even longer stretch of time. But to get back to the story, um, mm-hmm. there was a player, you may remember him, his name was Don Boozy, mm-hmm. uh, played, played for the Pacers in the ABA, and then when the Pacers came over to the, to the NBA, uh, along with the Nets, and mm-hmm. uh, who else was in that? But anyway, he was part of the team. So we were working out this summer, the, the previous summer, mm-hmm. and at the end of every workout, we would run suicides. And I would turn it on because I was so much faster than he was that I just turned it on. And so on that last suicide, now to explain the suicide for those who, who may not know this, run to the free throw, to the baseline, to half court baseline, opposite free throw line, back to the, to the, to the baseline baseline to baseline and then it's you know it's over mm-hmm. i would always be at the baseline finished and don boozy would be just hitting the opposite <laughs> uh baseline and i would watch him run in one day seku we took off this is uh like late like late august mm-hmm. man we go through the workout we're flying up and down okay get to the end of it, run the suicide. Okay, I'm going to turn it on now. Man, I was all out. I hit the far baseline, turned around, headed for the the baseline where the final thing ends. I hear these footsteps. I look over to my right. (laughs) Don Boothy is about three, four feet behind me. And I'm going, wait a minute. How did he get faster? (laughs) <laughs> or did I get slower? <laughs> By the time. Boozy. By the time. He, he caught up with me. And, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so I, I walk into, the, into my home after that practice is over. I got this funny look on my face, right? My wife looks at me and she says, uh, honey, what's, what's wrong? You, you, you don't look too good. <laughs> I said, you know what? We better start getting prepared for life after basketball because <laughs> I just turned it on with Don Boozy. He was three feet, only only three, four feet behind me, and he's six feet five. 
I'm six one. That means quickness is leaving. So <laughs> yeah, you 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 had those moments, and and we all have them where some guys, you know, you can't hit the hole as fast. So in right. football, you give it to you. You can't you can't get through the hole they open for you. Come on, you know, come on, let's go. I can't get there. But anyway, uh, that that's the story of how I knew. Now I was into my tenth year at the time, and I was trying to. Um, uh, make a, a a change in my game in terms of, of recognizing that okay now I can't just use quickness I got to use intellect to, and position and angles and these kind of things but yeah. uh, that's that's pretty much how it ended for me and I got into coaching uh, from there so I had a stint in the um, front office for three years but but mm-hmm. uh, all all together say cool um, uh, you know a kid from Murray Wright. Uh, inside Detroit city limits, wound up uh, playing for a title and and staying involved in the NBA as a player, assistant coach, coach, and administrator for 38 years. So I have no complaints about anything. I, I watch what these guys are doing today, and uh, I'm in admiration uh, in terms of what they're accomplishing, where the game has evolved, the leadership of it, and it's 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 fun to watch. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, I I tell people all the time there's so many basketball stories out there that we don't highlight. I hope uh, I hope the current players, and, and and that's one of the the things about the union and the retired players players association. I think is awesome. I hope is that they make those connections. You know, that they always understand that they were somebody who built the foundation for the league you're playing in now. You need to go back and learn their story. There are a lot of players, I think of Jamal Crawford, who never – I always hear him talking about the older players, the guys who came before him and studying the game. And You know, you hear LeBron, these guys say, well, I'm a student of the, the history of the game. I hope, I hope that continues. That's a, to me, that's a, a great tradition for, for guys that play when you played to pass on the information and the wisdom, you know, and so oh. on and so forth. No question about it, Sekou. And and when people understand that before there was a Kevin Durant, there was a George Gervin. Before there was a, a LeBron James, there was an Oscar Robertson. Right, right. You know, be, before there was a, a, a Kyrie Irving, there was an Archie Clark. So you could just go on and on and on with with all the great players who, who played and, and the players currently stand on the shoulders of those guys because those, those, those lanes were, were, were uh, paved for the players coming behind. And, that, and that's exactly what, what, uh, what had me get interested, Zeku, in the NBRPA because it's a way of giving back and helping players who are making the transition from playing to uh, now that next that next phase of life that next phase of life is coming i mean i don't care how great and how long they play it's still going to be a relatively short career when you think about the athletic career versus a, a metal career or a legal career you know at 20 years let's say a guy like vince carter we're all applauding him and rightfully so for his longevity but we're talking 20 years now. You look at a a, a guy who has appointed uh, himself in 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 say as being a doctor in the medical profession. 20 years, he has he's nowhere near the end of his career. <laughs> he's just basically starting it. So right. it's all relative, and that's why uh, the players 
have to maximize their opportunities, uh, particularly their financial opportunities and, and brand themselves accordingly and, and have a strategy, have a plan in place that they're working so when they can no longer fly, that they, they have a place to land. You only have pressure on your Seku when you're not prepared. When you're prepared for things, it, it eliminates that, that pressure. Yeah. Uh, changes have to be made, adjustments have to be made. Uh, but if you're preparing yourself for these eventualities, then when they happen, you don't feel stressed out and where do I turn and, and start turning to other things yeah. uh, that, that, that you shouldn't turn to because that leads you down another path of no return in a lot of cases. So. You have to be smart about it. You have to uh, understand that it's a privileged uh, position. You don't have a right to the NBA. It's a privilege. Right. And if you're fortunate enough to make it and have uh, some amount of success in terms of longevity, you know, you've, uh, you've achieved what a lot of people won't ever achieve. And um, you enjoy it for as long as you can. But you prepare for again that that day when when you know it's no longer going to be there for you as an active participant, right. and that's where we come in as the NBRPA to provide those things um, that that may be needed, uh, real real time, real world, real day things like uh, uh, insurance and uh, debt relief if you have issues with that or. Association for Applied Sports Psychology. If you're dealing with some some, some mental things, and here's the other thing that goes mm-hmm. uh, that 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 takes place that uh, you know, just like this 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 pandemic situation with coronavirus, there's another uh, unseen enemy that that professional athletes have to deal with at times, and and that's that uh, that uh, that mental side, depression mm-hmm. and frustration that. You know, I, I used to be this and now, uh, you know, who, who am I now? You know, and they're not ready for that transition. So that's the other, that's, those are the injuries you can't see, you know, that, that mental thing, but it's very real out there. People think, how can you have issues? You play for so-and-so team and you made so-and-so dollars. No, it's, it's deeper than that. Seku. And there's a, that unforeseen enemy that has to be addressed. That that injury that people that mental injury that uh, you know some guys have that that, that you can't see. So uh, we try to be available for those kinds of things as well. Yeah, that mental health and wellness space to me is one where the uh, the union and the, and the retired player association have really stepped up to fill that void. It's it's good to see. So listen, I, I've had an enjoyable time just talking to you, Coach. I, again, I mentioned. I, I know the basketball experience for everybody's different, but uh, but I love some of the wisdom and insights that you that you bring. That I hope people enjoyed it, and uh, I hope you keep doing what you're doing. You know, with the Retired Players Association, keep giving back, and and you guys keep going strong and continue to stay safe. We're gonna come out of this, you know, coronavirus situation. And hopefully, see some basketball on the other side. Well, I hope so, too, because the sport is good for people and good for the players and everybody involved. I appreciate the time you've given me today, uh, and, and it's been enjoyable for me as well. Best of luck to you. Stay safe, and um, we'll see you uh, hopefully sometime soon. Absolutely. Thank you, Coach. Thank you. All right. Have a good one.
All right, you too. Bye now. Here at the Hangtime Podcast, we always appreciate our guests, appreciate the time. As I mentioned, and, and as we continue to, to mention throughout this uh, suspension of the 2019-20 season, we're going to be here to give you some voices, some wisdom from you know basketball players, coaches, um, contributors, people who are involved in the game in some form or fashion. Uh, so again, we give our Gratitude to Johnny Davis uh, for coming on and sharing some of his story and some of his uh, his insights about the game. From my producer, Anthony Bonaparte, and for everybody here at the Hang Time Podcast, we'll see you next time. This one is done, but in case you want another one, here's the link to all the fun from Sekou Smith's Hang Time Run. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, NBA.com slash Hang Time, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, Hoops fans. When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even, Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply.